it was really an effort to come together as an industry to think about a common framework for approaching this question around physical climate risk. And that includes the extreme weather of today, as well as how the environment is going to change over time and what we need to be thinking about long-term planning for the power system of the future. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Storms and natural disasters are increasing in frequency and severity and EEI's member companies are working to harden the energy grid against these threats to ensure customers can receive the reliable electricity service they need to power their lives. To bring the electric power sector together to strengthen the industry's approach to managing climate risk to the energy grid, EPRI created the Climate Resilience and Adaptation Initiative, also called the Climate Ready Initiative. Many EEI member companies have joined this initiative and are working together to help build an informed and consistent approach to adaptation and resilience planning. Morgan Scott, EPRI's Director of Climate Ready and Sustainability and Ecosystem Stewardship, is joining us on the show to talk more about this initiative. I will note we are recording here at the end of 2022. In any case, Morgan, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here and really excited to be able to talk about Climate Ready. It's been a busy year uh, and we're looking forward to all that's still to come with this work. For our listeners, could you tell us just really briefly uh, a little bit about EPRI as an organization? Sure. EPRI is a nonprofit organization that is focused on research and development across the value chain of the power industry. So we think about generation, transmission and distribution, as well as the customer side of this equation. And so we look to advance R&D so that we can really focus on the societal benefit aspect about how we can make the grid um, and all of the assets and activities of this industry really serve the public better. And for the Climate Ready Initiative, can you speak a little bit about kind of the goals and maybe the demand signal you all got to pursue this sort of research? And then also maybe a little bit about some of the partnerships you may have, whether it's kind of across the industry or with government partners to kind of help advance this research. So Climate Ready launched in April of this year, uh, and it was really a an effort to come together as an industry to think about a common framework for approaching this question around physical climate risk. And that includes the extreme weather of today, as well as how the environment is going to change over time and what we need to be thinking about long-term planning for the power system of the future. So you asked about what were some of the drivers and there were a couple of different things. So when we think about the environment overall that this industry is working in, I would say there are three drivers that really had us thinking we needed to move in this direction of a common framework and we're kind of the externalities, so to speak, right? So the first is that we really see society's dependence on electricity as a final fuel increasing in the decades to come. And the reason why that is, is because of these decarbonization commitments and recognizing that electrification is a key to reaching those commitments. So whereas in 2020, we've got electricity around 20% of total final energy, 
by 2050, some of our modeling shows that we could get anywhere between 43 to 59%, right? And so as we continue to rely on electricity in that role, the need to be resilient becomes more and more important. So that's one thing. There's also the lived experience of extreme weather. You don't have to look far to find a headline around the issues associated with extreme weather. Um, and that lived experience really changes the equation for people. When you live through an event, um, it is an, a real driver to thinking about how do we not experience this again? Or if we are going to experience this again, how are we more resilient? So that lived experience is, is really critical. And then the reality is that the science is advancing. Our ability to understand climate projections into the future and to downscale that information to make it more local and inform our thinking has really improved over the years. And so that allows us to be more thoughtful about the strategies that we're building. So with these, the confluence of these things coming together and really adding on to that questions that companies were getting from regulators, from investors, from other stakeholders, from their own planning groups around what is our risk. This all really drove us to say, we need to come together. There are a lot of other questions out there, a lot of kind of um, approaches that you can take. How do we sort this out and create a framework that is technically rigorous and uses all of the science that's available to us? And that is really what we're intending to do with this work. And you noted that there's a lot of common issues that companies are facing really all across the country, but I know we often will discuss and, and sometimes on the podcast here, um, the distinction and regional differences that some of our member companies face. So whether it's somebody who's in the Gulf Coast area, who's used to hurricanes or the Midwest and ice storms or the West Coast with wildfires and high winds, are there elements of the model that kind of can be tailored to some of those unique circumstances that companies might face in their operating areas? It's a great question. And we talk about regionality all the time. And to be clear here, right, we're developing a framework, not a model. And I think that's really important to delineate because there is so much modeling that informs this work, both from an earth systems as well as a power system standpoint. And what we're trying to do is come up with a framework that helps us bridge the gap between that modeling and help companies to make technical decisions around the data that they use and the ways that they apply it to thinking about vulnerability. Um, but back to the question about regionality, I mean, this is a critical aspect of how we want to be thinking about the framework. In many respects, climate risk is hyper-local, uh, and so that needs to be factored into this conversation, and it's why this question around downscaling is one that so many have. Uh, and so we've discussed how do we approach this from the framework. I think there will absolutely be something that helps to delineate various regions and how one in a region could think about what weather variables are most critical to evaluate when it comes to an exposure and vulnerability question. But I think, you know, the other thing to think about here is while regions may experience certain weather variables and extreme weather um, more frequently than others, those weather variables are consistent around the world, right? So we talk about wildfire and, and fire weather. 
And oftentimes we'll talk about that being a Southwest problem here in the lower 48 of the United States. But the reality is wildfire happens elsewhere. Um, and not just here in the United States, but around the world. There is a lot to learn from Australia on that topic. Just this past summer, we saw what wildfire did in Europe. And so it really underscores the need to come at this from a collaborative standpoint. Uh, and the fact that this is a global problem that needs a global approach because these weather variables are experienced around the world and there's a lot to learn from others that have already been managing them. And EPRI does a really great job driving collaboration among industry and with government partners. Can you speak a little bit to some of the stakeholders that are involved in this initiative? And then who do you think could be kind of the target audience for this framework? Um, obviously, uh, electric companies will care about this, but I know you had mentioned kind of regulators and policymakers as well. How can this be a tool for them? Yes, absolutely. I mean, EPRI works on the collaborative model. It is the heart of what we do, but I think Climate Ready really embodies that spirit. We came at this initiative really dedicated to making this a big tent effort. And the reason for that is because we recognize that there are a wide variety of people and organizations that have been working in this space for a long time and bring unique experience and expertise that really will enhance the value of this overall work. So we really focused in from the beginning about not only how do we build a collaborative of power companies that can inform this work, but also industry stakeholders so that they can come and inform. And so wide variety of stakeholders that we are bringing to the table. It includes the regulatory com uh, community. Uh, so NARUC has joined into this effort and is gonna be providing and engaging, uh, providing expertise and engaging with us. Uh, we're really thoughtful about codes and standards bodies and how the output of this work can inform what they do. The national labs are really critical uh, in terms of engagement here, and we're really excited about the ways that we've started to engage with national labs, including Argonne, PNNL, and others. Uh, and so uh, we'll look to see how that continues to unfold along with the DOE next year. So lots of exciting things happening there. But there are others as well, academia, nonprofits, consultants, um, the financial community. There are, like I said, a lot of organizations that have longstanding work in this space, asking questions in this space, and we're excited to bring them all to the table to get engaged. Now, ahead of our conversation, I was uh, reading a couple of examples, and I saw the COMED and DOE's Argonne National Laboratories Center for Climate Resilience and Decision Science that was, or I think they announced a comprehensive new climate risk and adaptation study, and that seems to be affiliated with this effort. So I was wondering if that's, uh, you could maybe speak a little bit to the aim of that study and, and really are there opportunities for other companies to be learning from the, the experience and the research that that particular initiative is looking at? Absolutely. The reality is, so Climate Ready is a three-year initiative 
initiative, but no one is waiting three years for this framework to be done in order to start their assessment work. And in fact, many have already started walking down this path. So Con Edison released their first assessment a few years ago. Southern California Edison just this year uh, did an assessment that was recently filed with their regulator. Um, Alliant Energy has done an assessment and just published that this year as well. So this is an active space. Um, and ComEd is really going to do a great project here, leveraging the really fantastic technical expertise that's sitting right in their backyard with Argonne National Lab. And they are wrapping up right now the first phase of this work, which is mostly focused on projecting out the changing climate and weather conditions for their local service territory. Um, and then we are looking forward to continuing to engage with them as they move on to find uh, additional phases. You know, the reality is that each journey, so to speak, right, or assessment that companies take on is different and really has novel challenges that they will come across and learnings that will come out of them. And the beauty of the collaborative is that companies that are taking on these assessments and working through these projects can bring that experience back to ready. We'll be siphoning out those lessons learned from that work to inform the development of the framework, which then enables others as we move forward to efficiently benchmark um, and really move forward with those learnings in mind. So we're looking forward to continuing that collaboration with both ComEd and Argonne National Lab um, the specific efforts that they have underway that will inform the collaborative. And to the point that you made, the other companies, many others that will continue to do these types of assessments over the coming years and will have the opportunity to inform the development of this framework. We all know that the energy grid is really critical infrastructure and it just enables really our day-to-day our -day lives and drives so much of the economy. And with the investments that are underway to harden the energy grid and folks taking a hard look at the impacts of climate change and really just um, we saw significant funding in, in some of the bipartisan infrastructure law that passed last year looking at enhancing grid resilience. We see this as we want to make sure that we're enhancing our service to our customers, but really just broadly, what are the benefits and the drivers really of, of building energy grid resilience? Because again, it, we see the Endgame is having a complete reliable power for our customers, but I think there's really a little bit more to it. Sure, and there are many pathways that we could kind of walk down in this conversation, right? So climate ready is really focused on extreme weather and the environment of the future that the grid is gonna have to work on, but that is just a small part of the overall conversation around grid resilience, right? So when we're thinking about strategies that companies can take on as they're thinking about addressing their physical climate risk. You know, we can also think about what are those no regret solutions that provide resilience to other high impact, low frequency events, right? There is how do we think about building resilience into the grid that also can be um, enabling more flexibility as we move forward and we think about the way that the grid and its services are really transitioning to meet the needs of our customers. Um, and of course, there's a national security conversation that happens there as well. But I don't think we should lose sight of the customer. I really do think it comes back to the customer and how 
we serve the customer. And the fact that this is changing over time, right? And their expectations of resilience are going to continue to increase due to the fact that we are going to rely on electricity, as I said before, more and more as that final fuel, right? The value of a kilowatt is different depending on who is using it, what that kilowatt is used for, um, and how long it is gone away for, right? How long they have lost those services. But as heat pumps continue to increase in proliferation, as electric vehicles come to fruition more and more in these service territories, as more and more of life's everyday necessities rely on electricity, the need to provide those services and to be resilient in the face of an event is just going to become more and more critical. So yes, blue sky reliability will always be critical to the customer, but this resilience on a black sky day is definitely going to become critical and more critical over time. And I, I don't think we lose sight of that or we should lose sight of that, despite the fact that there are other benefits to consider in this equation. And a piece to, um, I think right now that we have 50 EEI member companies with forward-looking clean energy or, or carbon emission reduction targets, uh, many of what they actually are aiming for net zero by 2050 or sooner. So we know where we are going as a sector, but I think we also understand that we have a critical role to help other sectors of the economy reduce their emissions and, and the transportation sector and, and the electrification efforts underway there absolutely come to mind just because the I think since 2016 transportation has been the highest emitting sector of the US economy so are things like that like initiatives that that look at the future role that we have to say help electrify the transportation sector are those elements of the the research that you all are doing to really just understand how these different planning pieces come together yeah, I think absolutely, right? So you're you're exactly right. We've been giving a lot of thought to how this industry enables economy-wide decarbonization. And it's a really interesting question to pose when we flip the climate coin and think about resilience and adaptation, right? How can we be more effective and efficient by thinking about systems overall and planning together? Um, it's why the customer piece of this equation is included in Climate Ready. We recognize that customer assets are vulnerable to the same events that we're thinking about when we evaluate grid assets. But we also think about how customer assets may in fact offer opportunity for grid resilience overall. Um, and so it's that kind of thinking, it's that kind of big picture approach, pulling in the customer, thinking about community resilience overall, um, that enables us to perhaps come up with innovative ways to how we may be more resilient as we move forward. So it's something we're thinking about in Climate Ready. I think it's a challenge that we should all take up to think about. Uh, and I'm really interested to see over the coming years how that could unfold and, and how perhaps even the relationships that are being built by the industry stakeholders coming into the Climate Ready work through what we call our Climate Ready Affinity Group may inform that and create collaboratives moving forward that drive better engagement overall and better planning um, cross-industry, cross-community, et cetera. And I imagine, I know EPRI is such a, a large organization with so many research teams working on so many key issues for the industry. 
I imagine your effort actually is helping some of your colleagues as well. I know you have folks who really dive in to resilient technology and nuclear energy technologies, and there's folks who are doing great work on the electric transportation front as well. So I imagine you have some colleagues who are, who are really excited about how this framework might inform some of the more technical and real system analysis that they work on it. It does seem like um, there, there's, there's a lot to be had for having you all work together on these issues. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, you're only as good as your team, right? And I'm just blown away by the EPRI team that has come together to drive this forward that is truly cross-institute. So we have a great leadership team for each of our work streams, um, but then we also have subject matter experts. We've got over 80 of them from across the institute that are contributing to this work. And it is because of exactly what you said. There are so many different pieces to this that we need to think about and incorporate. And there is an amazing portfolio and decades of research upon which we can really rely on as a strong foundation for building this framework. The framework is going to provide the approach and kind of methodological thinking as to how you would do an assessment. And then the reality is there's a lot of work and research underway that once that assessment is complete and a company better understands where their vulnerabilities are, both at the asset level as well as from a system standpoint, um, and what they might need to be thinking about from a design standpoint, then we have all of that technical work that has already taken place and is continuing to drive forward um, that allows us to innovate approaches to how do we now mitigate that risk. That that last thing, uh, kind of understanding our approaches to mitigate future risk. You, you had mentioned at the onset that you're looking at this as kind of a three-year project. And I guess, what, what do you expect? Is that deliverable in year three? And does the, the program continue after that? Is there further refinement? Is there a a grid ready 2.0 or are you just kind of focusing on 1.0 as your, your team is doing the hard work now? Yeah, I've learned that you can never just uh, rely on 1.0. So, um, so you're right. So we are a three-year initiative and your question around what's that final deliverable, it's the framework, right? So it is the comprehensive framework that allows a company or an industry stakeholder to kind of start at the beginning with the question of, what is your physical climate risk and gives you everything you need to move forward on that question as you think about the climate hazard, the exposure and vulnerability of your system, and then what is the guidance to help prioritize and plan at a systems level. So that's what we're looking to uh, develop in those three years. Now, as I said before, no one is waiting three years for the framework. So in advance of that, throughout the, the three years that we're building the framework, we will be publishing out a wide variety of technical resources from tools like a climate data inventory to literature reviews that help summarize the state of the science on some of these topics. We want to be sure that we are providing resources early and often that can be utilized by companies and stakeholders who are tackling these questions now. So that's the lead up to the three years. And then to your point, what happens year four? This is going to continue to evolve. And that's because the science is gonna to continue to change. The power system is gonna to continue to change. Customer behavior is going to continue to change. 
And therefore, the way that we evaluate risk has to continue to evolve such that we are pulling that change in and appropriately uh, responding to it. Um, so while I can't tell you exactly what year four of Climate Ready looks like, I can absolutely commit to the fact that we will continue to update this methodology, to update the framework um, so that it is reflective of the change that is happening in the industry, which we know happens at um, a light year's pace. It sounds like there's a lot of components that are going into developing this framework. Are there dedicated different work streams or, or variables or sections that are gonna be part of the framework that you might wanna to touch on? Yeah, there are. We actually launched three work streams that are working in parallel and very much iteratively to pull this all together. So work stream one is really focused on characterizing the climate hazard, taking stock of what is the climate data that is available today, the quality of that data, the suitability of that data to thinking about vulnerability of the power system, right? So I might have wind speed at 10 meters, but does that help me at all when I think about the risk to a wind turbine, right? That is the suitability question. Um, and then where are there gaps? Where is there climate data that's needed? Uh, and what EPRI can do is articulate what is needed in terms of that climate data and then turn that over to others to create those data sets. Um, so an example of that is you may have seen, we signed an MOU with NOAA earlier this summer. Um, they are an organization that is gonna be really involved in a number of ways with Climate Ready, but particularly when we think about filling those climate data gaps, we're excited about what NOAA can bring to the table. So that's work stream one. Workstream 2 thinks about exposure and vulnerability. So this is the question around what can we do in terms of building the framework to assess the exposure and vulnerability at the asset level across the comprehensive span of the power system. So thinking about generation, delivery, and the customer side of the equation. Uh, we also wanna be inventorying what are potential activities that a company can take on to address those vulnerabilities. And then also it's not just the system as it stands today, but as we're building out the power system of the future, how do we use these climate projections to inform the planning and design of these new assets, which will have to operate 10, 20, 30 years down the road in an environment that will likely be different than what we experience today. So that's work stream two. Work stream three looks at bigger picture planning and prioritization. So once I've used the framework to assess my vulnerability at an asset level and consider potential actions and think about the design of new assets, how does this pull up into a macro scenario approach? How do I think about planning at the system level? And then what is the guidance that we can provide when we think about cost benefit analysis that not only considers the risk from a climate perspective, but also takes into account the wide variety of factors that a power company has to consider when making these investment decisions from good old fashioned reliability to flexibility to safety, affordability, equity and environmental justice, decarbonization commitments. 
there's a lot that needs to be considered here that we can pull into this guidance and into this framework. So we know across the country for EIPS member companies, collectively, they've been investing about $120 billion a year on average um, across the system, really, to enhance the grid and all sorts of programs there. And I know some of those investments are to manage and mitigate and harden the system against the challenges that we're facing today with extreme weather and climate. But I imagine there's also a whole level of planning as well to make sure you're uh, making the investments for those projected future risks as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. The reality is actually that this industry has been good in terms of its reactive response to investment. And when I say that, I mean recognizing that when something happens, we build back with that experience in mind. Um, and the reality is those events are expensive. Um, and being able to be reactive in that investment and thinking about the future, right, reactive to the most recent event is, is very fair. But we are absolutely thinking in Climate Ready about how do we turn from reactive to more proactive investment. And in fact, we just published a paper that's called um, Costs and Benefits of Proactive Adaptation that really asks this question around proactive investment. And the reality is we do begin to see cost savings over time when we proactively invest in the system. So what we are hoping will become of this framework is that it begins to provide the foundation to better justify some of those proactive investments and recognize that there can be longer term benefits with that in mind. You know, um, I was speaking with a member a couple months ago. I did not come up with this, but I like this thought. It, in essentially what he said is what Climate Ready allows for is the transition from an assumption of gold plating to a use of a gold standard, right? And I think that's really important here. We're looking to create an approach that is industry accepted um, and well informed to make these decisions and really avoid some of the challenges that have been brought up in the past and really underscore the value of proactive investment when we think about climate risk. And for listeners or, or companies that really want to track the progress or learn more or even get in touch and get involved, what would be the best way for them to connect with the Climate Ready team? Yeah, we definitely welcome folks to come to the table and, and get engaged with us. There are a couple of different ways that they can do that. They can reach out to us at our Climate Ready, that's ready with an I, at epri.com email, and we watch that inbox very carefully. We also have a website that is uh, really a great spot to check out all of the resources that have already been published and will continue to be published in the weeks and months to come. That's www.epri.com slash ready with an I. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to share a little bit more about the program and, and really the vision from the framework. We look forward to just watching the progress as your team works towards their deliverables. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much again for having me and looking forward to working with a lot of your members and folks that you interact with regularly as well as we continue to move climate ready forward over the next few years. 
And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.